Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. Join your hosts, Mark Zylinski, Jeremy Duval, and Rob Fanouf as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Hello, I'm Shannon Shoemaker, the 2019 U.S. Masters Paragon, and welcome to Countercharge. I'm Jeremy Duval. And I'm Ralph Enough, and we're really excited, Jeremy. We didn't get enough content recorded at the U.S. Masters because we had someone that escaped. They had to catch a quick flight. Yeah, you know, he was uh, on a jet plane, as they say, right? Well, we're very excited because tonight we get to sit down and uh, spend some time with Mr. Shannon Shoemaker. Shannon, first up, what was your reaction when you found out you won the Paragon? I was very shocked. I knew, based on the scores going in, that I should be in good position for second or third for battle, but... I didn't figure I'd be high enough on paint and sports to be in the Paragon running. Well, congratulations. I mean, that's amazing, an amazing accomplishment. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I think this is the first time that Paragon hasn't gone to the South, I believe. Because I believe the first year it was uh, Robbie King, Robbie and, then King. La- and then last year was Dustin Howard. So finally, you have broken the South's hold on Paragon. We got something away from him, at least. I guess Alex got Master away from him last year. Yeah, they won, they won Masters the first year. And then not the second year, but uh, but man, maybe next year's the uh, 2020. That's going to be the year that they can fi- somebody can finally win best team, best team. Yeah, I think we've been gunning for that. I know we some of my buddies from the southeast and MA. I know we were like anybody but the south. Come on, guys. <laughs> and uh, the northeast had a great run this year for sure. Wonderful, uh, best sports. Yeah. Well, what were your expectations for the event going into it? I did not expect to do as well as last year. Um, I. Finished really well, I thought, last year, tied with Jeff O'Neill for fourth in battle. And had no expectations I'd do that well again. I'd switched up the list some, and I'm not as comfortable. I haven't played the Giants nearly as much. Not as comfortable with that as I was with my old three whizzes and three rock lobbers, three trombones. But I know some people don't like that style of play, so I figured out, change it up a little bit. I'll try out the Giants. I know Kyle's done really well with it. And... Just wanted to give it a try, try something different, and it's a little more engaging, hopefully, for your opponents than getting rocks dropped on your head. Yeah, what was in your list? Uh, so in my list, there were a lot of sim- similarities to last year. I still, I had a Spitter's Horde, I had two Rabble Hordes, and a Regiment instead of the three Hordes from last year. I had two Mincers instead of three, and two Chariot Kings instead of three. And then this year I added a Flagger on Foot with Banner of the Griffin, uh, mounted flagger with diadem of dragon kind. I kept one wizard in mounted for blood boil, and um, I had some points left at the end, so I went ahead and kept the two trombones in. I wasn't sure what else to replace them with, and then the big addition this year was the three giants. And I, I guess, I had two chariot hordes if I didn't mention that as well, which was the same as last year. Uh, Shannon Masters gets like a really, uh, you know. Um, it's known as crowning uh, the master, which is based on battle. But talk a little bit about um, the quality of paint in the room. I really think not only the depth of battle this year was very high, but the armies were amazing. And since paint's such an important part of Paragon, what were your thoughts when you were kind of scoping out the armies at the event? Uh, honestly, I was so busy 
with games and then talking with people in between games is kind of a rush to run around, run around and look at the armies. But uh, I'd guess that I was pretty close to how those awards fell out. I ended up, um, I did go with Austin for my best and Josh Rosado was my second best as far as uh, for my player's choice. I mean, it's not necessarily the best army, but just the one that you like the best, right? For whatever reason you like. Yeah, that, that that's a great pick. I mean, Austin's a fantastic painter, and I'm a big fan of those Ratkin from Josh Rosado. And last year, Ryan Munsell was my pick, and I mean, he was back with very similar uh, looking army again. I, I don't know if it was all the same, but I mean, I, I definitely remember he really highlights his salamanders up very well. And that's not to take any way, anything away from Jeff Shilkin, Jeff Swan, um, Mike Adkins, or the other guys you know who do a great job. Yeah, I think that like I often I think about players' choices kind of like what is the army here that I want to that if I could take any army home with me, what would I want to take? Kind of is what helps guide my players' choice voting yeah. when I'm at a tournament. Sorry. Yeah, and I think that's where probably Austin picked up a lot because he's got all the big monsters, Mirsha type monsters, and others. Um, so it's a very unique looking army um, compared to someone who's using more. GW miniatures that a lot of people have seen before, or Mantic miniatures as well. Talk a little bit about, you know, this was the first year that Masters was using uh, dot terrain and uh, as sort of another layer of strategy. Um, how, was, how was playing with dot terrain? How was the terrain in general? Did terrain really come into effect in any of your games? I think it came into effect in all of my games. And I was pretty happy with the way the dot deployment worked. Um, I was pretty content with the table set up on all the tables. I felt like um, I wasn't really negative, negatively impacted. You knew what the scenario was before you put the dots or put the train down. So you could kind of place it somewhat where you wanted or at least have portions of the table you could work with, even though your opponent's throwing the train down too. And you don't know which side of the table you're going to be on to start with either. So... Um, it's still you have to you have to pick table side after you've deployed, so you're not going to skew it too hard one way or the other in case you lose the terrain roll or table side roll. Had you gotten any? Um, do you guys ever do dot de- dot deployment terrain in Midwest, or had you played an event with dot deployment, or did you get any practice in beforehand? I played at Siege of Augusta, and we did dot deployment there, but obviously my. Um, Ideal for that deployment was a little bit different there. I was playing Mongols versus the uh, goblins here. So there I wanted to use hills to my advantage um, to block line of sight because I, I didn't have anything over height to except for Phoenix. And I wanted I didn't want to have difficult terrain slowing me down or stripping thunderous charge. With my goblins, I'm not so worried about it. I mean, I know it takes you from hitting on fives to sixes, but I'm not really dependent upon the goblins putting on a lot of wounds in melee or shooting. It's all just chip chip shots, chip melee damage over four or five, six turns, and then you hope by turn five and six, put enough wounds on units, you can start taking them off. So. Did you did you see, Rob, the... Um, I didn't know quite what it was in the beginning, but it was like they handed out to all the Masters players like these little, it looks like, um, staircases which are meant to help units balance on hills. Did you see those? The most incredible uh, tournament handout I think I've ever seen. And they had uh, they had everyone's name on them too. I don't know if you saw that, Jeremy. Absolutely. At first I was like, what are these things? And then once I realized what they were, 
I was like, this is probably like the highlight of my weekend was getting that stupid thing. When I first saw it, I thought it was a siege ladder or something to help climb the wall since siege is coming in for Kings of War this year and the COK pack. They got plenty of use during the event, too, so it was handy, handy to have yeah. them there. For uh, the the uh, audience at home who haven't seen it, basically it's like a MDF sort of staircase that's designed so that on the stair you can uh, balance your unit. So if your unit is on a hill and it doesn't quite want to fit, you can use this as sort of um, uh, a balancing point. Yeah, definitely. There was definitely some cool swag at Masters this year. I thought the dice were really nice too. They handed out some um, dice with the Masters logo. Um, had you ever gone to an Alamo before Shannon or is that the first time you were in that venue? No, that's the first time I've been to San Antonio. What'd you think of the, uh, of the San Antonio and the venue? Um, the venue was fine. Um, it's, it's m- more of a hall, right? So it's not as fancy, I guess, as a hotel room, but I mean, it's plenty. They, they had the onsite bar with, um, some food service, I guess, too. And it's, Plenty, uh, plenty enough to host the 64 players for the Masters. I mean, it's fairly crowded, but but we had enough elbow space. You weren't bumping up against people, so it was really good for that. Uh, San Antonio itself, I really enjoyed. Uh, Friday, I went in and <clears throat> managed to make it over to the Alamo on Friday and walked around downtown a little bit. And then Saturday night, after we finished the first day, went down on the Riverwalk with Midwest guys and some mountain guys and. We found a nice restaurant to eat at right on the river walk. So that was great. I really enjoyed much like Nashville. I enjoyed the weather. It certainly beat Chicago at the end of February. So, uh, that was, that was very nice. So why don't you take us through your games, you know, uh, give us just maybe like a little snapshot or maybe like a, a key moment in that game, who your opponent was kind of what sort of list they were playing. Why don't you sort of, uh, take us through your matchups? Okay. Well, my first matchup, uh, probably if anyone was paying attention, they knew what it was, um, because Georgia put out video ahead of time, but I was playing George O'Connell with a list fairly similar to Brad's. He dropped one dragon to take Basusu and, uh, basically a hero level individual on Mount for the dark elves. And he had two regiments and three hordes of chariots instead of four hordes of chariots. So I knew it would, could be a rough match going into the event and I was just kind of hoping to block up his line of sight and hoping I got a good scenario for me, or at least not what I presume would be a very bad scenario, like eliminate where he could hide his targets and I would have more trouble hiding my giants. So we ended up with, um, dominate for round one, which was really good for me. I was able to get terrain placement where I wanted it. I kind of blocked off. There was, we had a long thin building on our table I put that down along the center line where I wanted it. I got a forest down in the center as well. So I knew I could stack stuff up behind those and he wouldn't be able to tow into the forest unless he wanted to eat some giants charging his chariots. And then I ended up deploying fairly hard on my left with several of my units, uh, the chariots and the kings, to do some shooting because he put a chariot and a dragon across from him. And then I didn't have much on my right and he ended up hanging... uh, couple of chariot hordes and a dragon over on his left which would have been my right where i didn't have a whole lot of defense but i was just kind of hoping to anchor towards the edge of the forest and i can't remember i think i gave yeah i gave him first turn because i had deployed some stuff i knew he wouldn't have shots anywhere along the center of the table 
And then I deployed fairly bar, far back on the left, so he would have to come up and be limited on shots. And I wasn't so worried about him hitting on sixes because I had my stuff hidden behind a hill in cover. So uh, early on, it went pretty well for me. I managed to waver his horde on the left my first round of shooting, and then I kind of kept it wavered for a while. But it took me, I think, five turns to get it off eventually, um, which kind of hurt. I wasn't able to move stuff out as fast as I would like to back to the middle. And then coming into late game, basically we were just kind of trading stuff around in the middle. I moved up behind the force, but never really towed in. And he had kind of moved up and eventually I was able to get off most of his chariot units. And at the end of the game, we came down and he had one chariot horde and all three of his dragons left. And he did, he played it pretty well. He jumped his dragons in front of my rabble hordes. I should have moved up a little quicker. And he was going to be able to keep them from scoring uh, because you're not going to kill a dragon with a rabble horde. And I'd had my other stuff busy working on his chariots, which was more important since they were higher unit strength. So anyhow, came down to, it was, it was fairly close at the end of the game. He had a chariot horde over on um, his, his left side, my right, that he got in just in maybe to the dominate circle on his turn six. Um, and I wasn't going to bother arguing in or out because I could see that I could run a giant into it, and then I was going to run uh, one of my mounted characters up behind the giant. So I knew I wouldn't kill it, but I'd be able to push it back an inch. So it didn't matter if he was just in because I'd push him out as long as we didn't go to seven. And I managed to sneak a couple of units of my a couple of my smaller units in on my turn six, and we ended up not going to seven. So. I think I came away with a 6-1 advantage on unit strength and might have, I'm not sure if I picked up an attrition point or not, but I ended up coming off with a 16-5 to win for game one. So that left me a ways behind the guys at the top because Brad and Adam had both pulled blackjacks, but solid, right? I mean, George is a good player. He had a tough list and I ended up getting a good scenario for me. So 16 points was, was a great first game. And, you know, and sometimes uh, getting a win like that is probably better. You know, I mean, there's something to be said, right, right? for getting like a solid win, but not capping on points. Yeah, I'll mention that a little later. But yeah, (laughs) as we go through, that was kind of the theme for me. I actually never really pulled a big game. I had a couple of 17s, but I never had any any monster games. And it probably worked out well for me in the end. Okay, so why don't you take us into your second game? I just like to say, I mean, George, it was a very good game um, and. To compliment George, you know, uh, I know a couple years ago after uh, TNT and stuff where he's playing the heel, he's getting a lot of bad press. But um, last year, or so he's been he's been much better. So and that was that yeah. Was I really thought his um, his videos this year when he was kind of talking about the cast and he was talking about stats because I know this was not the first time that you and George have met on the the battlefield. Yeah. So um, you know. Um, and also, too, I think it, it, it suffice it to say, George's ho- hobby ability sometimes goes unnoticed, you know? He, he, right, yeah. It's really well-painted army. Yeah, he is a very well-painted army, and shout-out to George. And, you know, it, it, and it's good to sort of highlight on that as we're talking about Paragon, sure. is, you know, to, to, to talk about hobby. And that's just something kind of... Uh, uh, with his sort of infamous uh, personality, you know, sometimes is that it, that goes under the radar sometimes that he is a very good painter. Yep. 
And he took time to add some extra units, um, models onto his units as well, because there's concern that they might be a little low. So he put in some time between Siege and Masters to do that as well. So thank you, George. <laughs> Had tip out to you for that. Um, so going into round two, we played, I think we played Pillage for round two. And I was up against Brian Tucker with his Undead. So on paper, it looks like pretty good matchup for me because he's quite a few drops lower. And with um, several shambling units, uh, I should be able to spread it out and take advantage of, of my unit strength. Uh, more drops, more so, I guess, than unit strength. So I ended up, uh, we had kind of built it up, and we had four tokens pretty much kind of on one half of the table. And I had put one behind a house, and I thought, you know, that'll be a solid place to put a unit and just hide back there. And then we just had... Uh, oh, he had two back on his... Uh, after we got sides picked, he had two back on his half that he could claim both of them with a horde, which he plopped down his Revenant horde and just sat on that the whole game. And mine were spread a little more where I wasn't able to do that. I'd probably not placed as well. And then I didn't deploy real well either. I went a little too hard left because, again, you know, looking at the matchup, I thought, well, I should be able to, to handle this. So I was going to try to go for five or six tokens instead of just trying to grab three or four and take the win, uh, play for the win, small win. So I ended up getting really – he did a good job. He held me up a little bit with his flying pharaoh, and then he moved him from my left side over to the right. He also took his revenant flying king from the left side over to the right later in the game where all the where the extra tokens were so then i didn't have enough units over on the right side to deal with all of that um i ended up getting the left side but it took me quite a while because he had mummies and uh skeletons and whites over there so it took a while to chew through those three units with what i had for goblins so i it got pretty close over on my right hand side i was able to Claim one objective, but I never did get back to the one I had hidden behind the house. So at the end of the game, on turn six, uh, we ended up with 3-3. Three, three. And I'm not sure what would have happened if it went to turn seven, because he had a unit of whites that were really hurt, and probably one more blood boil would have, would have grabbed them, or maybe even just one more wound for a nerf check. And I had both spitters and a whiz over there. So I think if it had gone to turn seven... I would have had a decent chance to take them off, but you don't know what else would have happened either, and we might have still ended up in a draw. But yeah, that game actually was probably the most important in the tournament for me. Um, Brian played it fantastically, because like I said on paper, you would think that I had an advantage. Um, make a run back for that one token, and he parked Mortibris, or sorry, uh, Morgoth in front of a rabble regiment, and there's no way you're ever going to get a rabble regiment through Morgoth. I think I had two turns to try to get back to the token. So he did a good job of cutting me off from that, um, the one I had hidden behind the house. And uh, that was really, in some respects, the most important game of the tournament probably for me. I ended up um, with just a small draw, uh, an 11-9, my favorite draw. And that meant, <laughs> as the tournament went on, I ended up, uh, I never had to face the guys who were at the top in rounds four and five. Uh, I didn't hit, I didn't run into Brad whose list would have been very tough for me to handle. And I think um, Ray Shields' list could have been pretty tough for me to deal with, too. Most of the others, I think, depending on scenario, um, 
I would have had like 50-50 odds probably. Um, Dustin's would have been a very tough game, but depending on scenario, um, I would have matched up okay with him in some scenarios, I think, as well, just because he all his unit strength was concentrated in four units. Um, would have been tough to get him off, but if I could deal with him, then um, he wouldn't have a lot of unit strength left. It would be very grindy, and he'd be able to hold me out of position. But um, if, if it was a scenario that was more required us to be more spread out, if I could, if I would have fought him and could have gotten his chariot hordes and skeletons off, then I would have felt like I had a decent chance. So really, the list that I I didn't want to face over the tournament was Brad's, and I think that was a pretty common theme. And like I say, Ray Ray's list I think would have been pretty tough for me to deal with with the four shock troop hordes. You you bring up a good point there, and it's something that. You hear a lot from um, uh, people who win a, a, an event like Masters is that um, you know you have to play correctly, right? Everyone in the room is playing correctly. It's a it's a dense, deep field of a lot of talent, and then to do well, you also need to kind of pull those matchups and have things sort of. Um, you know, when you need the turn seven, you get it, or when you don't need the turn seven, you don't get it, or you sort of dodge people, or you know, because there's always going to be bad matchups for you in, a, in an a, a event like that. So, um, going into game three, so that was the end of uh, day one. We had three uh, going into the third game. Um, so how the last you fe- game, yeah. yeah, that the last game of the fir- the first day. Um, yep. Uh, how were you feeling going into that game after your first two? Was it still too early in the tournament to sort of have a sense of your, were you feeling comfortable? Were you kind of dialed in or how did you feel going into the last game of the first day? Um, I was getting really tired by then because I guess um, too much excitement or whatever from getting ready to fly down to masters and then play. So I hadn't slept for a while the two nights before that, but um, felt pretty good, right? I was still, I was a win and a draw. So you're still in good shape at that point. I knew I was a few points back, and I knew I wasn't ever going to score any big wins. But like I had said before, you know, there to compete, but I didn't expect to do as well as last year. So I was pretty happy with that, um, especially, you know, having the first game against George and the second game against Brian being so close. I was happy to get away with uh, the win and the draw from those two. And then game three, I was going to be matched up against Matt Young from Hobby Sauce fame. So that was fun because I've obviously seen his channel and seen some of his videos, but hadn't met him in person before. So expected that would be a fun game, um, just seeing his personality from YouTube. And also for me, I know last year, especially with my other Goblin build, I was always excited to see Ogres because that was a good matchup for me. (laughs) So maybe not quite as strong this year with the change to my list to Giants, but um, again... You know, the best you can hope for at, at Masters is that you're getting matchups where it's at least a 50-50 for you, um, if not a little better sometimes. Uh, you just hope you don't ever get those bad matchups. And so I still felt like, you know, this was a at least a 50-50 matchup for me because I know Ogres well enough and got some ideas how to deal with them. So I think Game 3 was Invade, as I recall. And... We set up, this was a funny one, because we just totally set Forrest and all sorts of train across the middle, which I'm sure he wanted so he could move boomers up and shoot out of, and I was kind of okay with it, because I didn't, um, 
I didn't want his chariots running all the way across the board on me. And I figured, you know, I could move giants up behind the trees. And then as he moved into him, I'd be ready to run into the trees and punch him back if I needed to. So that's kind of how I set up. I set up my giants uh, in the middle of my line this time uh, across from a lot of his units in the trees. I put my chariots out on my left flank. Actually, I think I had a giant out there. Maybe I put a giant or two out there more on the left um, because he'd put a couple of chariot regiments out on his right, but he put a lot of other units in his center. So I thought, you know, if I got my chariots out there and a giant, I could deal with that. And partly also because um, he had put his chariot horde, his horde on my right-hand side, and he was going to run it across. He'd set it up where he could run it across um, some height too difficult so he could see across it, and he had probably had Caterpillar on that unit. So it was good for him to get a long run, but he had his boomers. We're, gonna, we're not going to be able to really cover it because of we had a couple of forests set up next to each other, which meant his boomers were going to be in the forest. Uh, I hope I can word this right. The boomers would be in a forest that was on the other side of another forest. And then his chariot horde was on the other side of that. So his boomers wouldn't be able to see through that second forest, even if they were in the first one. So that meant I could put my mega blaster over there to kind of counter a siege breaker horde and his chariot horde. And then I hung a king over there. And my rabble regiment, because I figured I could just sneak it across to get two points. Um, so that part all worked. I got my king across and turned it in. I got my rabble regiment moving across, and I was moving my mega blaster up towards his chariot horde. And then he kind of had missed seeing me turn my king in, I guess, or misjudged the distance. And so about turn three, I was able to put the king, get a flank on uh, Siegebreaker horde with my king, which would put a few wounds on it, but more importantly, it let me block his chariot horde from coming across so I could keep moving my mega blaster up. And then whether I charged or just stuck it in the way and let him blow it up, I didn't really care um, as long as I was holding his stuff off for a turn or two. And then over on the left, uh, I put a few shots into his chariot regiments, and then he kind of tried to bail out with them back towards the middle. And I was able to take one off, I think, my second turn. And his other one kind of it hid behind a forest for a couple of turns, but then eventually he had to try to move it up to score. And then the main, the main activity was going on in the middle of our lines where he had all his boomers, um, boomer sergeant stuff shoving up into the forest and shooting at my war trombones and my other rabble hordes and spitter horde. So we scrummed around for a while. I got mincers into some stuff to... Well, I think he charged Mincer first, but I got some Mincers in. He charged them, whatever. We were we were just fighting in melee quite a bit. He cleaned up quite a bit of stuff in the middle, but I was able to get in uh, after I took care of his right flank on my left side with the chariots. I was able to get those turned back to the middle and help out some. So I think by the and then, oh, the big thing was about uh, after I'd run the king in to the flank of the siege breakers, he charged him... I knew the king wouldn't kill him, but he charged the king in the flank with his chariot horde, and he ended up snake eyesing that. So that gave me one more turn of moving my mega blaster up. And I just had it in position where it was going to be able to, uh, basically, even if I yellow bell, I'd probably blow up and hit both a chariot horde and a siege breaker horde. So I think it was probably around turn 
four maybe when I set it off and I just rolled, I, I rolled enough to hit both those units and then it, <laughs> 11 hits. So I think I ended up putting, Oh geez. Yeah. That's 10 crazy. wounds on a fresh chariot horde. Oh, ouch. And I hadn't used it in either of the first two games cause I, I just had kind of had it out of position. So <laughs> that was crazy. Um, which meant I'd run my whiz around from my left flank all the way over to the right in his backfield, and I was able to blood boil off the chariot horde by, uh, I think I ended up getting it in turn six. In the middle, we cleaned out a, a lot of each other's units, uh, but I think in the end I'd cleaned out all of his hordes. So he had uh, maybe a couple of boomer sergeants left, and... Um, I think maybe one siege breaker horde made it through. And then he had his, um, warlord on chariot. And then I was pushing some stuff across. So I had a, I think a chariot horde, some giants, uh, my rabble regiment. And then I was trying to get a spitter horde across. And this is where it's really important to talk to your opponent. So think maybe we went to turn seven in this game so in turn six i was looking at it and i said oh i don't think i can get my spitter horde across so then he's decided he wouldn't even he was originally going to charge it in the flank with his warlord but he decided not to do that and move his warlord across where i wouldn't be able to kill his warlord off just to save some attrition points and then when i was looking at it more i'm like oh uh i could spin the spitter horde and move it forward and get it across originally it was diagonal but if i pivoted it and moved five then i was actually able to get it across versus trying to move it um across diagonally uh and i we had talked about it a little bit didn't think it would go across and then he'd moved his chariot hero over like i said and i just thought he wanted it over there so he wouldn't lose attrition points so when i moved the spitter horde he said oh i thought you said it wouldn't be able to get across i said oh yeah i didn't think it would but when i pivoted it, i could see i could and he said i you know he said well i would have charged it then I'm like, okay, go ahead and charge it, you know, and he said, no, that's okay, Um, uh, just trying to be a good sport, and I said, no, if you were going to charge it, go ahead and charge it, it's my bad for telling you you couldn't, so we backed it up, let him charge it, and he ended up wavering it, which kept me from getting three points, uh, three unit strength across, and and I think that's just the best way to handle it, right, because I, I originally didn't think it could get across, so I said something which then changes his his play, so when I realized that it could get across, you know, I need to be willing to let him back up and, and take his play that he intended to do. I hope that makes sense. It's Yeah, it's funny you say that, though, because I was actually watching you and Brindley play. We're talking about sporting play, and I remember there was a spot where uh, I think one of your giants had like a unit of his knights or something lined up, and he made it a, made it a point to tell you, hey, I, th- I know you're thinking about charging these guys, just don't forget that they have Pathfinder. And I thought, wow, that's like, that's sportsmanship to the next level. Cause you know, I'm sure in that situation, it, it doesn't really probably enter into your decision, but you know, maybe there are situations where having that little extra piece of information reminded to you is, is exactly what you need at the time. So, and I saw that a lot uh, through the whole weekend from, from a lot of players. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think masters is pretty clean. It's all open list. Everybody for the most part knows what's going on. If you forget something, you're still going to get flanks and other stuff that people don't see. Right. So that's fine. You don't have to be um, secretive on, like you say, like some of those things in my mind, opponents, Hey, this unit moves. You, you can tell they're clearly, you know, if you can tell they're clearly move, measuring charge distance, 
then why wouldn't you tell them, don't forget this unit has haste, right? You need to back up two more inches. Yeah, I've seen that too where somebody will say, uh, my intention is to be 16 away from you, so I'm you know, 16 and a half inches. And then you know, if your unit has haste, it's like, well, that, that's the right moment to tell them, don't forget that I actually charge nine. <laughs> and I think, Rob, you guys bring up a good point. I think most people in that room are there because they want to play against the best. And if they win, they want to be like joyous in that victory and not win based solely on like a gotcha type moment. Yeah, Kings of War is not a gotcha game. We've talked about that lots, right? This is just one more example of where you want to win because you're a great you're a great general, not because your opponent has a bad memory or didn't see on your army list where it said you had haste. Right. I mean, everyone's busy focused on their units and what they're doing, and you can't always keep track. Even when your opponents tell you before the game, everyone's very good about telling you magic items, but it's easy to forget. It's not your list. It's not your army. And you've got enough stuff on your mind. <laughs> So then how was it, uh, how did that game, I'm not sure if, if you oh. had said, Shannon, did you guys draw or? Um, I did end up winning that one. Right, I think okay. I got, yeah, I definitely got some attrition on that one. I probably got two scenario points and an attrition point. Uh, I think maybe I did get his Siege Breaker Horde that it ended up on my side. So he probably ended up with about three unit strength on my side. And I'm I'm not sure what the difference for two points would be. I probably had maybe seven or so on his side for a difference of four, I would guess, because I probably had a couple of giants, a chariot king, a rabble regiment, and a horde. Something and like and that. that's a good list. Those uh, siege break, there's boomer sergeants are nasty. Yes, yeah, for sure. Although I do expect to see, uh, it'll be interesting this year with the new cock pack, I expect to see wizards replacing boomer sergeants for a lot of people. Um, but boomer sergeants will probably still be popular. I say that was the end of day two or day one. Sorry, day one. And I got uh, seventeen four in that game. So I was sitting at what thirty three, forty four, forty four points at the end of day one. Pretty good. That's out of what sixty three points. Yeah. Where were you stacked up at the end of the day one? Like in terms of uh, where were you in the rankings? Were you fourth or fifth or probably in seventh or eighth range? I know um, the rats. Corey and uh, Ray were both above me. Uh, Kevin Von Felt, I think, was still above me. And, of course, Brad was way out in front, and Dustin was was just behind him, maybe seven points. So I think there might have been someone else in 45 or so, to Maybe Nathan Clevenger might have been up there, just ahead of us. But the interesting thing was I was at 44, and um, as I found out on my walk, to walk along the river walk with the guys when we were going out to eat dinner. There happened to be another goblin player sitting at 44, and we were going to be matched up the next day, and that was one of the lists I didn't want to see. And it was uh, Travis Tim, who's a great guy, but I really didn't want to play against his list, knowing what rock lovers can do, and he was taking four of them. What were the highlights from Saturday night? For me, really, I, we went out to eat, and we sat around and talked for a long time. I got to talk with Chris for quite a while, which is always, always a pleasure. And... Then went back to the hotel and probably chatted a little bit. Um, I think they ended up hanging out at the Marriott that night, just across the parking lot from where I was at. Mm -hmm. And so I went over there for maybe an hour or so. But uh, like I said, I was pretty tired. So once I saw um, Nathan clear out and that's who I was <laughs> rooming with, I was ready to head back and go to bed. <laughs> well, how about Sunday morning? How how were you feeling when you got up? Um, I was okay. And ready to head back to the venue. And uh, like I said, I knew I was going to be playing Travis. So 
neither one of us really wanted to play the other one. And we said, and it was funny, neither one of us wanted to play Eliminate. So obviously, <laughs> guess what the scenario was? <laughs> uh, turned out to be Eliminate. So it was interesting again, too. We I think we both kind of did it. We put some trees in the center and left part of the field. And then we ended up deploying a whole bunch of stuff over there. And once I was halfway through deployment, I realized, man, it's going to be tough to get these guys back to the middle of the field for that for the token. It was worth two points because I had stacked them a little bit too far left behind the terrain. Uh, and then he was going to try to bait me by putting. Uh, so for me, my three eliminate targets were three giants, which I didn't want to get lobbered off, obviously. And his eliminate targets were two chariot hordes and a giant. And he ended up putting his giant hard on his right flank, flank, so way over on my left. And then he put his two chariot hordes over on the right. And like from my perspective, he didn't have a whole lot over there to support them, at least when he first dropped them. He probably outdropped me. So I ended up putting my chariots and my giants over there. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to shove everything down his throat, try to punch his chariots off, pick up four points, and then hope I can keep some of my giants alive um, or lose them to shooting instead of melee. So I'll have a bit of a points lead. And this one, I put my Mega Blaster way over on the left side just to chase his giant off. Or if I got lucky, put some wounds on his giant, and then maybe I could finish it off with something else. So we started. I got first turn, which was, ideal, again, ideal for me. Um, so I didn't have to eat a turn of rock lobbers before I moved up. So I kind of shoved everything up. I figured if he wanted to charge my giants with his chariots, I'd let him. If not, I wanted to be in position to start charging him on my turn two so that I could get into combat and hopefully cut down some of the rock lobber hits. Um, did a little shooting, didn't do much, although I did manage to waver one of his chariot hordes with effectively all the shooting in my list, I think. I think I even put the spitters on him. So I, I only did like four or five points with all my shots, but um, rolled decent enough nerve to waver him. So then on his turn, he backed it up out of the range of my giants, so I wasn't going to be able to get my giants into combat yet on turn two. And um, he, sh- he he dropped two rocks on one of my giants, did 11 wounds, wavered it, and he put a lot of wounds on one of my chariot hordes and wavered that too. I think, like, I don't know, it's something ridiculous, maybe close to eight wounds from a spitter horde on fives, probably sixes and fours, maybe fives and fours, I can't remember. But anyway, definitely more than I expected. <laughs> so then the next turn, I was able to move one giant up to screen that wounded giant from, I think, at least two of his rock lobbers. I kind of got a king in position so that I could threaten his rock lobbers. He'd split them up, but the king would be able to threaten two of them. And then I got another giant moved up a little more where he'd be able to charge something on the next turn as well. Um, I can't remember that turn. He didn't put a lot of wounds on giants i don't think on his turn he shot and tried to get my chariot horde off i think again and wavered it again but didn't get it off and i was just kind of peppering some stuff i didn't put much many wounds on either in turn two and then finally turn three i was able to get uh, the king that was running over for to threaten the rock lobbers actually had a flank charge on one of his chariot hordes so i took that put a giant into another chariot horde and was able to pick up one chariot horde, so then that got me two points. And I can't remember. Oh, I had charged a, 
moved the, the injured giant up. I'm not sure if I charged it into the chariot horde as well. But anyhow, then I was kind of stuck on not sure what to do to pivot. I wanted to pivot it around to start going after his other chariot horde. But that meant I was going to give a rear up to spitters. So in the end, I decided to give the rear to the spitters and just hope that they wouldn't do many wounds on, since they just hit on sixes. And um, like I said, I think I had 11 wounds on the giant at the time. And I had rally, so he was going to have to get him to 20, which he ended up doing. He put probably four wounds or something on from the spitters, which was probably reasonable value. I'm not sure. Sixes and fives on 60 attacks. So, but anyway, he put enough wounds on it, got rid of one giant in melee from spitters. So now um, we were tied, I think, at that point. I ended up the next turn, I punched his other chariot horde off. So I was back up by two. We were still scrumming over on the left side. But by that point, I realized I need to start moving stuff back towards the middle. And I had boxed in one of my rabble hordes enough. I should have moved. I had one closer to the center that I should have moved right up outside the trees initially. And I ended up letting him move up. So he was able to pin my rabble horde far enough back that I couldn't slide the other one behind the first one. So then I was going to be really be limited to about six unit strength that I could get to the center token. Uh, one rabble horde and one spitter horde. Knew that on turn five, so even though I wanted to get some shots with the Rabble Horde, uh, I, I think to try to take out War Trombones, I ended up I had to move it up and just take shots on sixes so that he wouldn't be able to move something like um, Mincer or something else up and hold me more than three inches off of it for two turns. So for the last two turns, we both had I, I, I had six unit strength up there. He was going to try to get a Rabble. He had one Rabble Horde in. He had a Mincer in, and he was going to try to move another Rabble rabble horde up but i was able to block his second rabble horde with a wizard and since it was moving through terrain i i think he only got maybe like one wound when he attacked the whiz so i was able to keep him off of it and again um lucky for me it didn't go to turn seven because he would have probably killed one of my rabble hordes and been able to slide some stuff over and ended up with he would have probably had like a seven three unit strength lead over me um, I managed to escape with a, probably a 6-4 unit strength lead, I think it was. And the highlight was probably that turn my <laughs> my spitters charged a mincer in the front and managed to do, I think, three wounds on sixes and sixes and took the mincer off. Yeah, yeah. unbelievable. <laughs> Filthy. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it, was, it was a real good game, and we both kind of figured, well, that might be the best goblin certificate right there. Um, we knew Kyle was close to us, but, uh, he was a few points back. So, um, felt pretty good about that. Cause I knew that was going to be a really tough list to beat. And like I said, if it had gone to turn seven, Travis almost 95, 99% chance wins that game. Uh, but I got out of that one with a 15, six and, um, looking on towards game five at that point. And who, who'd you face in game five? So that's when I played Brindley. I, th- I hope uh, I think I gave him a better game this year than last year. Like I said, I had more shooting last year. I know Brindley doesn't care for that so much. And I was also trying to record our game last year and having trouble. A battery, my camera battery died, and I was kind of distracted and stuff. So I don't think I was giving our game as much attention as I should have um, this year. I think I did a much jo- better job. I wasn't distracted by trying to do anything else while playing the game. And it was a really good game. Again, uh, what did we play in this one? Was it, I must've been loot. Yes, it was loot. Yeah. 
So we had the loot tokens kind of spread out, one on the right, one on the left, and then the center token. And he was playing Varenger, so fairly punchy with two mounted suns. He had a Trooper Reavers, a Horde of Bloodsworn, a Direfang Horde, and then my memory gets kind of sketchy. I think a Thrall Horde and a Thrall Regiment, Magnilda, and a Scald. And ah, that might have been most of it. I can't remember if there was anything else. This game's a little harder for me to remember, too, how how we deployed. But I think we had some terrain, and I know there was a wall on my side kind of leading up to the center token. Maybe not so much terrain against the left token. Um, I think I ended up putting my chariots and stuff down on the right side, opposing... At least one chariot horde, maybe just one, opposing what he ended up with. Two sons of mounted sons over there. His blood sworn were kind of that side, a little more towards the center, but definitely to that side of the center token. And he had Magnilda over there. And then I ended up putting a mincer, maybe two mincers over towards that side, and a giant was over there, I think. And then I probably had two giants, one more towards center and one more towards my left, I believe. So on the left, I did hang some stuff way over there. Um, he had the Thrall Regiment on my far left, mm-hmm. and he had his Pegasus over there. He had a Pegasus hero. Um, he had put the four Shamblers way over on my right with his Mounted Sons that unlocked the Pegasus. And then he also had, uh, oh, his Fallen were over on my far left. So yeah, I had planned to just, set that token up way out there and, and claim it. But he had enough stuff over there that I had to deploy. Um, I probably put a, yeah, I put a chariot horde and a chariot, chariot horde there. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I also put my two individuals over there cause I figured they could take care of, um, he had a troop of dogs over there as well. Tender wolves and take care of that and the thralls. So yeah, the first turn, I think I took the thralls off and I started sliding my stuff up. I had put my rabble regiment over there to claim the token. And, yeah, I, I think I was able to waver his fallen with shooting early and then go into them. Maybe I put some wounds on him and went, in, went into him with combat maybe and wavered him. But I ended up getting a king into their flank at one point. Um, he still, I believe he took my chariot horde off over there. And I had to circle a giant over to help out because I wasn't sure how it was going to go. But I was able to secure that token probably by turn five. And then his dire fangs were in the middle. I think they had moved up with a horde of horde of thralls for the middle token. That's where I had my blaster, so I had shoved it up. But he was able to keep his dire fangs back far enough that it, it just hit the thralls, and I think did like three wounds to him or something more to me than it did to him. Oh no, I know what it was. I actually I think I rolled decent, like ten maybe for hits. But I rolled a bunch of ones when I was rolling his unit. So it did six unit, six wounds to his thralls, I think, and ten to one of my giants and ten to something else I had over there. So <laughs> that was a little rough. And then he had his blood sworn, had moved up in the middle and run into my rabble by that point. And I think there I had maybe gotten a flank with a giant, did a bunch of wounds. I think I snaked that unit. And I had had like a couple of bad rolls over on the left, which is fine. It happens, right? Um Enough that Brindley had commented uh, on it, though. But then later in the game, he ended up, I, I was trying to block a mounted sun's unit way over on the, my right side with a mincer, and he snaked it in the flank. And that left me free to then run that mincer into um, the flank 
of a unit, his troop of Reavers, which picked that up. I had a giant over there that then got first charge on his mounted sons. So I was able to strip Thunderous off, which then it's tough for the mounted sons. It's going to take at least two turns to kill a giant with that. I had already picked up Magnilda at that time too, I, I believe. And so it was pretty tight. It was looking really good for Brindley because he had, he had, from my perspective, the right-hand token and the center token. But I thought I still had a chance to pick up the right-hand token. And especially once that snake eyes. His reaction was priceless. It was like, okay, it is what it is. He didn't like no frowning, no uh, jumping up and down. Like, you know, he just took it in stride and was like, all right, well, that's, that's the game. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of where I was with the blood sworn. They, they weren't in a terrible place for me. At least um, they were just punching spitters, which I was okay. Well, spitters are probably going to die, but I expect the rabble and the spitters to die. So there you go. As long as I had another turn to, to get them off the table. And then I can't remember the other unit of mounted sons. I probably must have run a giant into some point, put some wounds on. That game actually did go to seven, and so I ended up tromboning his last unit of of mounted sons off, and I think ended up with uh, I I got his dire fangs off too. Uh, I never could pick that token up, but um, you know they they dropped it, so ended up picking up everything except for his scald. I think by the end because we went that extra turn and so I was able to get two tokens two token advantage in that game for a 17-4 for a game that really looked like Brindley had a good shot in turn 4 and maybe probably even part of turn 5 before my giants just went bonkers and I, I think maybe all three of them were still alive so all three giants went bonkers in turns 5 and 6 um, rolling like 11 and 12 hits and maybe pulling seven wounds for the hit rolls right but then rolling well on the when i actually rolled to hit and able to pull like six seven eight wounds i i want to say um or way more than i expected at the very absolutely least. it looked like an awesome game to play too you guys yeah like well brindley's great opponent right he, like you said he's he's really chipper really happy <laughs> happy to be there and happy to play and i think uh like i say i think i gave him a better game this year i know it's more his style because i have to move out and engage and there's going to be a lot of melee. It's a really good game. So that was game five. Yeah. Is it starting to sink in that you're gonna you're gonna come out of here with you know you, you're setting yourself up for a pretty good run? Well, I was really happy. I mean, again, I knew I wasn't pulling quite as many attrition points as I did last year, so I still wasn't sure that I would be in any any uh, medal placing. But I was happy in that at that point I had four wins and a draw, so I couldn't do worse than what I did last year record wise. Um, Four one and one last year, and you know I didn't think I'd, I I would, didn't figure I'd do that well again. So, uh, yeah, I was real happy. So I felt like there's no pressure. The last game, didn't know who I'd get. Uh, you know, at that point, I'm thinking Ooh, I might get Brad. I don't know where the points fall. <laughs> so uh, when we went out to lunch, uh, I think the points came up then, and I saw that Nathan and or maybe some or maybe I I'd, I'd asked enough to figure out what points were, and I knew that. Nathan and Chris were ahead of me, I think, at that point. So I knew I wouldn't have Brad, but I, I didn't know. Maybe I'd still get one of the rat list because I, I wasn't sure where their points were at. That would have been a tougher matchup for me. But then ended up, Chris ended up pulling Brad, and I got Nathan. And even though he's super high defense, you know, it's again, it's one of those games where I feel like I've got a shot at it because I've got the Giants, I've got the Mincers. Um, so I, I've got some can openers for the defense and... It was going to be Occupy, which uh, with 
pillage tokens, you got to feel okay playing most of those games as Goblin. And so I was pretty pretty happy with the draw I had. Um, and Nathan's a good guy. So I uh, knew it would be a good game. And he's he's a tough opponent too, right? Plays with the Sons of Vulcans. Uh, so yeah, he's really good. He's really good. He's tough. he's better than people, you know. Um, he's better than he lets on, right? He always says, yeah. "Oh well, you know." I'm like, "No, Nathan, you're a really <laughs> good player." You know? Yeah, I've yeah. played him a couple times, and uh, man, it's always always a super tough game. And the one thing I, the one thing I'd mentioned about Nathan more than maybe anybody in Kings of War is Nathan gives you the same game whether he's kicking your teeth in or you're kicking his teeth in. Like, he is the same right. temperament yeah. all the way through it. Like And, like, you know, there's there's folks in, in Kings of War that, like, have to take a break from the table because they're stressing out or they jump up and down or, you know, they have to have... They have some kind of visible mannerism as a reaction. You never know, really, what's going on in Nathan's head. He's just, he's just at the table and he's just, like, and yeah, you're always along. concerned he might come over the table at you. Yeah, well, he's big, right? You're like, oh man, <laughs> yeah. but 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 he's like a gentle giant. He just he and and, and I really, you know, I, I really appre- I love playing him because a he usually kicks my teeth in, and I'll learn something from it. But b uh, he's just such a very like right down the middle. You know, he's not he's not over the top. He's not, but he's also engaging, right? He's not. You know, the flip side is you could have somebody that just sits there and doesn't say anything or is real methodical. I mean, Nathan Nathan's a fun guy to play on the table. Yeah, I think actually the last time we played was at Masters in Nashville, <laughs> and that was an interesting one because uh, I, well, I was playing the Forces of Nature then, right, with the uh, uh, Winged Unicorns and the Beast of Nature, and so turn one, I'd move the Winged Unicorn over into some terrain. So I could swing around a flank. And so I'm thinking, I'm in terrain. He might he's probably gonna shoot at me with uh, one unit of guardian archers, but mm, they're hitting on sixes. Be fine, right? And I don't know, he put on four wounds or something and then rolled real high on nerf twice and took my unicorn off. And I was like, huh. That kind of change <laughs> that changes things. There goes half my heel. <laughs> so yeah, it was kind of funny. He I can't remember. He said something a little surprised by that or something whenever it happened. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that was an interesting Very game. understated. Nathan's very understated. Yeah. yeah. So uh, this game, I had put my Occupy token way over to get into the game, uh, way over on the right flank behind a building, basically just to keep him from getting splitting him up or prevent him from getting any main units over there. And then the secondary tokens were kind of more packed towards the middle, and he put... His two-point objective, from my perspective, just to the a little bit to the left of the middle, um, up by a building, and so I really this game I really wanted to see how he deployed, um, where he put his Brock Riders, uh, because those being the speedy units, that's when I wanted to take off. I knew I'd have to deal with the Brock Lords and the King, but where, whatever he ended up doing with those, I was just going to have to deal with them. So I put the chariots over on my right side since they were the fastest and to hopefully clear out anything that was going to block up my two point token. And then when I saw his iron guard go down, I put the mincers across from those along with the mega blaster since uh, mega blaster speed five, his guys are speed four. I should get a chance hopefully to run them up there. Um, he'd already put his chaff down dogs and I figured that those might not move in front of his iron guard. He'd move them off to the right. So I, I thought I might get a shot. Uh, and putting some damage on. And then 
I just kind of dropped my rabble more to my left, I think. I did put a rabble regiment over with my mincers because there was a one-point token there, and I figured, you know, by the end of the game, get the rabble regiment up there and get a couple unit strength. Um, once I saw where his elementals and his iron guard went down, I think I had already dropped a couple of them, but I ended up putting a couple of giants in the middle, and then towards the end, I put my third giant there. So I had all three giants in the middle where they could either go towards his elementals or towards his iron guard, depending on which way I wanted to play that. And then moreover on my left, I had my two rabble hordes and put the spitters down. Once I saw him drop his brocks over on his right with just one brock Lord. And then I also put a King over there and for a little more shooting. And then I put my two individuals over there because again, uh, with diadem and blood boil, I wanted to be able to shoot at defense four. And that was pretty much the only defense four on the table. Um, you're not going to run those guys up against Brock Lords on the other side because Brock Lords will take them off. So I think, yeah, I, I let him have first turn just because I didn't figure it would hurt me too much. And he ended up just kind of sliding his Brocks over on his first turn. And he moved his Brock Lord around with them. And they were to the side of a hill, which meant I was real happy then for my first turn. I could just shove my two individuals all the way up on one side of the hill and they'd be out of line of sight. And then the worst case would be, you know, if he put his Brock Lord up on the hill, I'd just have to retreat him back and they wouldn't get shots off. But I had moved the King up a little bit too. So uh, if he had put his Brock Lord on the hill and wasn't protecting with the Brocks, I could have always charged the Brock Lord with my King and blocked line of sight to my two individuals and still been able to get shots into his Brock Riders probably. But that's what I ended up doing. Um, first turn, I don't know if I really got many shots over there. I, I think I was able to put some shots, but I don't remember what I put them on on that side. But the second turn, I put a whole bunch of shots because he moved his Brock troop up in front and the regiment up right behind. And so they got up close enough. I was able to get both trombones on the regiment and uh, both individuals on the regiment. And then my king was also shooting into him. So I think... I must have gotten him up to about 13 wounds that in one round, um, which was going to be amazing for me um, to have a good chance to get him off before they did too much damage. And uh, he probably charged my rabble with his Brock troop initially. I don't think I got the first charge there. I don't remember. But that was going to be a bit of a grind because his troop was hindered, so they were just going to be hitting on fives with no thunderous uh, against defense four. And so we were going to be going back and forth. Um, once I counterattacked him, he hit on fours or if I charged first, whatever, but either way, he wasn't going to have thunderous. So he's going to be best case fours and fours. So I knew that would probably take at least three turns to get through. And I hoped I could get through them through his troop before he got through my rabble. Um, he had a unit of dogs over there. I needed to kill. But one mistake I did make, so he moved the dogs up. I charged them and took them off with a rabble horde. But I had moved the trombones up all the way behind the rabble horde for breathing on his Brock regiment. I should have left them back just a little bit. So after I killed the troop, I could have pivoted or backed up out of the forest. Um, I left them in the forest, which meant on his next turn after um, his turn three, after I'd done the, a lot of wounds to the reg Brock regiment, he was able to double charge my rabble horde with a unit of earth elementals and the Brock's and take them off in one go. 
He might have done that anyway, even if I backed him up. I'm not sure what the range would have been. He might have been able to move up and surge into him with the elementals, but I would have forced him to at least have to make a surge roll. Um, so that was a little bad on misplay, probably on my part, from ideal. Um, after he did that, I ended up putting uh, on my, must have been third turn then, I put two giants into one of his elemental hordes and one into the other, thinking that I would block them off from getting flanks either way, whereas if I put three giants into one of them, the other one would have had a flank or rear with Surge. But I kind of miscalculated a little because my giants weren't going to be evenly lined up after I backed off an inch. And if I'd run the math, I would have had a decent chance of breaking an Earth Elemental Horde with three giants. I should do... um, not maybe not great chance, but I should do at least nine to ten wounds, hopefully. And with brutal, um, I guess the odds would have been a little less than fifty. But anyway, the way it worked out was, and, and I didn't see because I'm not playing against Surge as much. Um, he was able, and in this case, he was actually able to just do a corkscrew charge into the rear of my giant. So he had a a rear from one elemental horde and a front from the other. So I might as well just have put all three into one unit, do as many wounds as I could, even if I didn't take it off, and then eat the other unit in the rear after I had put three into all three of my giants into one of his to at least stack as much as many wounds as possible into one of them but um, live and learn and then by that point in the middle he early on I guess his turn two he had flown this king up into one of my chariot hordes on the right just to disorder it Um, at that point I had gone ahead and shoved my mince or sorry my mega blaster up but I had put it on top of the hill wasn't really paying attention i should have moved it up off the hill because when it was on the hill that meant his king could see it around my other chariots so on his turn he charged his king over hit it and wavered it which was okay not the end of the world i just had a mincer in range and i didn't really care if the mega blaster blew up and did wounds to my mincer because i don't take a nerve check on my turn he had nothing else to cause a nerve check and um, in the end, it was actually okay for me that he did that because the king was just going to be a total pain for me to deal with. So uh, I almost wish he would have blown it up initially on that turn just to get things moving along a little faster. But he wavered it, which meant then I put a mincer into his king, did a couple three wounds probably. He killed the mega blaster on his next turn, blew up, and it did however many wounds probably, I want to say like six or eight wounds probably did five or six wounds to his king and six wounds to my mincer, I think. So uh, I finished off his king with the mincer that turn, backed up, and then he had to go ahead and move his iron guard up at that point to contest the objective, which since he didn't have chaff there, he didn't have the king anymore, meant as long as I didn't yellow belly, I could get two mincers into an iron guard regiment, which is going to put quite a few wounds on it. So I was able to do that on my turn, block his other regiment up with my rabble regiment um so i think i put seven or eight maybe like seven wounds on his iron guard regiment with the two mincers uh, by that point uh, i was still fooling around over in the right too much with the brock lords um after the game i kind of realized i probably should have screened my king with one of my chariot hordes because he had pulled his brock lords back early so i probably should have just shoved a chariot horde up screened my king and then if he killed the chariot horde the king probably would have had room to maneuver around and get to the two-point objective, and then just try to hold on for a round or two of melee. But um, I ended up not being as aggressive moving up, which meant that he would, 
uh, for the last couple of turns, he was able to move his Brock Lords up, block my Chariot Horde, block my King, and uh, it took him two turns to take the Chariot Horde off. And I know on the stream, Matt was thinking I should have just moved my King up to the objective, but we measured it, and I just had one pivot, so I wasn't going to be able to get around his uh, Brock Lords with one pivot and a nine-inch move to get to the objective, so I ended up having to just take charges on him. But I was able to get uh, the, my second chariot horde turned around. I should have done it, again, something I should, should have done a turn sooner because I knew what was coming, but I didn't. Um, I was thinking I would use him to back up in case the first chariot horde died. I'd, I'd have a fresh charge from a chariot horde into a Brock Lord. But since, my, um, since the Brock Lord didn't kill the chariot horde, I, uh, I lost a turn where I, I could have pivoted a turn sooner to be in on the Iron Guard. But I was still able to get in on him on turn six, get a flank charge with a chariot horde. I still had one mincer in the front. So I picked up an iron guard regiment, and that meant I was able to put um, a chariot horde, a mincer, and by sliding my rabble regiment over instead of countercharging, uh, I was able to put six unit strength on the token, and he just had one um, iron guard regiment there for two unit strength. And uh, the the center objective he had cleanly with an ironclad regiment. And then over on the far right, I never did manage to kill his second um, Earth Elemental Horde, but I was able to move up a Rabble Horde and a Giant to have Unit Strength 4 contesting that objective. And I moved a Spitter Horde onto his two-point objective so he couldn't claim it with um, a Mastiff pack. So by the end of the game, uh, that went to 6. Uh, we didn't get a 7th turn, and I was able to hold two of the objectives for uh, that might have just been, I want to say, a 14-point win because I don't think I pulled any attrition and having one extra objective wasn't worth any scenario points either. So 14-point win. Um, at this point, Rob, now it's sunk in, right? I, I know I've got 90, so Brad won. I know there's no way I catch him. I, someone I kind of was asking a little bit. Someone said Corey had a big win, so I didn't know. I thought Corey might have, Reynolds um, might have jumped me. For second battle, but I was pretty confident I had to at least be third battle because Mike Austin, even though he beat Dustin Howard, he'd started off far enough, far enough behind me. I was pretty sure he he wouldn't have won big enough to catch me. Amazing, right? You must be thinking, okay, yeah, I don't know where I'm going to land, but I'm going to land high. Right. Well, and I was super excited because they'd had the awards on the table. I'm like, oh, this year they're giving away three awards, so as long as I'm top three, <laughs> you know, it's awesome. Get a get a plaque at Masters, which is you know, getting a plaque at Masters. It doesn't matter. Battle, Paragon Sports, um, or Paint, Player's Choice, you know, it's just amazing to to have an opportunity to get a to get an award at Masters with uh, again, it doesn't matter what you're there competing for. There's so many good players, sports players, so many good painters, so many good um generals that it's it's tough to win there. And you had to leave early. Yeah, I had booked uh we were kind of busy at work, so I didn't want to take an extra day off. Um, especially since, you know, I want to go to more tournaments later in the year and so I don't want my manager, you know, getting too upset at me taking too many days off. So um, I was able to find an eight o'clock flight out. So I booked that and wasn't quite sure how long it takes to get to the airport. So I wanted to get out of the venue by 630 just to be safe. Turned out San Antonio doesn't have any flights out on Friday night. So I was the only person in the security line when I got there. But they gave me a chance to grab some dinner and eat that. And I didn't have to rush to catch my plane so um from that perspective it was good looking back on it shannon what do you think you know um going into what do you think was your toughest game or your toughest matchup from the event 
I think Travis, I mean, going into it, I was really worried about George, but, but Travis trying to play that list, um, Travis, really good player, but they were all six really good players. So you can't really pick any one person out for that. But the scenario was one I did not want to play against his goblin list. And I think every other scenario was, I was fine with right. And every other list, I felt like I had plenty of, uh, I had tools to deal with, with George's. I was able to use terrain to help deal with his shooting. So, uh, yeah, that, that game against Travis is the one that I thought was the toughest, toughest to play. Were there any lists that stood out either like, um, uh, interesting, creative, super nasty. I mean, we all know about Brad's list, but uh, beyond that, were there any lists that you, uh, that stood out to you in the field? Um, the rat list, uh, Ray's list is just really good. And then obviously Corey's list with so much unit strength. I've never played against Dustin's list either, so that would be fun to play against, I think. Although, um, uh, it, it's probably worked to my benefit to dodge it at Masters because he's a really good player, and that's a tough list to deal with too. Um, as far as the people I played, Brinley's list was really interesting. I'd say a lot of the others were um, not that uncommon for what you see, but Brinley didn't have he didn't have a king on Chimera. Um, he just had two heroes with I think with Magnild and um, the Scald. He did have the Pegasus from Forces of Nature, but uh, as far as Ferenger heroes, right, he didn't really take advantage of the ones that you you usually see. He just had one unit of Fallen, and I know a lot of people will run a couple. So his list was, uh, even though he had several elements that other people take, um, I don't think I'd ever seen a Ferenger list quite like his before. You know, the thing with his list that I, that I like, and I had played it on Universal Battle a few times, is for how hard it hits, it has a lot of unit strength. Yeah. Sure. Yep. What'd you think of the three Brock Lords? I knew that could be tough to deal with too, right? Because if he puts three Brock Lords into a chariot horde, he's gonna take it probably take it out in one go. But it ended up he was always splitting ended up splitting them in combat, which I understand why, right? Because he's trying to block me off the token, so he probably felt like he had to split them um on the right hand side. And since he had his Brocks over on my left, he needed to keep a Brock Lord over there for inspiring. Uh, but yeah, I was really glad to not ever have to deal with two or three of them into one unit at a time. But I think that that's can be really tough to deal with three of those guys. What do you think is a good way to prepare for masters? You know, masters is kind of really is a a singular event uh, event in like the depth of field you're going to face. Um, was there any things you did to prepare or any tips that you would give someone, maybe an aspiring person or someone going to their first masters? Are wanting to compete at a higher level? Uh, sure. Well, I would say if you're going to your first Masters, try not to be too nervous. Try not to stress out about it. I mean, everyone there is is a nice player. They'll help you out. They're not, like we said earlier, they're not going to try to pull gotcha moments on you. Uh, if you mess up and you give a flank, yeah, they're going to take advantage of it. But it's not going to be anything sneaky where they try to pull a fast one on you or something, right? So don't worry about that. Uh, expect very clean play. Everyone knows the rules well. And, um, it's your, you know, if it's your first match masters, just go and enjoy it and see, see what it's like. Don't stress about trying to win three or four or five or six games. Right. Um, there's a lot of good players there and maybe you will, maybe you won't. Um, but just go and try to have some fun because a lot of these will be in cities you may or may not have been to before. And you may not be back for quite a while if it's a long ways away from your part of the country. And it's a great opportunity to, to meet people from other regions that you just don't get a, get a chance to see otherwise. 
As far as preparation, uh, I actually was hoping to play two or three games on Universal Battle against George's list because it's something I haven't seen before. Uh, I, I played against it at Siege with Mongols, but that's completely different than playing with my goblins against it. So uh, I hope to, but I never had a chance. Um, in fact, going into the... Actually, maybe even between Siege and Masters, I think maybe the only game I got in was I played against Keith Randall on Universal Battle. So sorry, Kyle, because that means that Keith got to see your list, a similar list at least beforehand. So uh, I think Keith and Kyle played at the event, and it went well for Keith, I believe. But um, that, that was the only game I got in. So ideally, I would say my experience before Siege, I was actually able to get in three games, although uh, luckily I played those with my goblins too. Um, those three games, but I really felt like those games helped me at Siege, even though I was playing the Mongols. It just kind of helped me to see the board better, um, think about... I, I still don't really look ahead very well at future turns, but I could kind of see where I needed to put units to, to back up other units better. And you just have to get some practice in, um, I would say, if you're going to Masters. Don't stress about it, but try to get some practice in so you just get more comfortable seeing the board, um, knowing which of your units you need to have work together to back each other up. I think that uh, that probably covers. So, uh, does it feel good to be to be the king, or one of the kings? Because yeah. I don't know. For me, Paragon is that's it's the king. It's, Jeremy, the, it's king. the king. It it's is. King. I mean, we know who the master is, but yeah. this hobby is is about more than just uh, smashing face. Right. Well, it turned out last year I was actually closer to Paragon than I was uh, Battle. Which I guess was true this year as well, because uh, whoever goes goes on top pretty much pulls runs away with battle, it seems like. But um, realizing afterwards, I was like, man, I was so close on battle. If I just touched up my paint a little bit more, and then I think I turned in one of my sheets late, if I just turned that score sheet in on time, I would have been right in the mix. Like I, I would have just needed maybe pull a couple more uh, paint points if I had my score sheets in on time to be right up there for second in Paragon last year. And again, I was shocked. I wouldn't have ever expected that. So this year, again, always hear how paint is so important at Alamo. And I, I was, I managed to touch up some of my stuff, but I just kind of got in a hobby funk because I was wanting to work on a Trident Realms army. And then I wanted to work on uh, Ratkin for Adepticon just to kind of show off what you could do with the Warpath models. So I wasn't real jazzed up to work on, um, to work on, my goblin list for masters because I had other things I wanted to do. So I touched up my giants a bit and then I kind of shifted some, some models around based on feedback from, I, I submitted some pictures of some of my units to the council uh, just to make sure that they'd be okay. And I shifted some models around and I think it probably helped like my rebel basis. I ended up putting some other models I had from other units on there and those things, I know Ryan always says highlight up to white. Well, so I had three models on each of my rabble bases that were super highlighted up. Um, I wouldn't say the greatest painting, but like really highlighted at the edges to catch your eye. Uh, my, I know my spider chariots, especially the blue one, people like. And uh, my kings are pretty nice, I think. So uh, I would say probably my worst looking unit was my spitter horde. But since that's rank and file... I, again, I was very surprised that I pulled as much paint as I did. Very, very glad to, because uh, it was put me in similar ranking as where I was with paint last year, and I, I didn't necessarily know if I'd do that well, knowing that, um, you know, Ryan's uh, 
really good judge, but not knowing exactly what he's looking for. So I think that was the big wild card this year um, for me that I pulled as many paint points as I did. It's got to feel good, though, because over the years you've put more and more effort into the hobby, and I think you're now starting to see the reward from that effort. Yep, I have, and it also makes me, okay, so now then just rather than just grungy rat, can I actually kind of want to try to get them to pop a little bit more too. I'm getting them put together, so hopefully I have enough time between now and Adepticon, but if I don't get them finished by then, if I can at least get them block painted, I can finish them later on in the year. I really want to do a nice display board for that army, though, because I've got a really good, I think, a really, uh, a really neat idea for what to do with the army theme. But yeah, I, I mean, Masters, it's it's, it's interesting, right? Uh, I, I like Siege um, and going to it. I've been able to go to it th- for three years now. And um, obviously, I go to a lot of Southeast events. I really like the Southeast guys and the Mid-Atlantic guys come over, so I get to see a lot of them too. But there's kind of a dead zone, it seems like, in there, dead spot in between November and December. So it's kind of nice to have Siege, but I feel like Masters really got me invigorated this last week, seeing everybody, you know, seeing 60 63 other people um and even more because dan minor came down like you came down rob um guys who aren't playing coming down and just hanging out uh, so much fun really re-energizes so much fun. you mm-hmm. yeah so there's been a lot of discussion about soft scores lately jeremy i don't know and shannon i don't know if you guys saw any of that <laughs> yeah so <sighs> i wanted to reply to it but I always mess up when I try to make long posts on Absolutely. my phone, so I gave well, up. <laughs> let's use this forum because, you know, one of the things um, – I am a proponent for soft scores. I think soft scores incentivize the aspects of the game that we want to see replicated. So things like you are a sporting player. You know, you, you take, you're altruistic. You take into account the feelings of your opponent. That's something I, I, we want to reward. Uh, same token with, you know, paint. Um I think that you know, uh, rewarding people for putting in some effort and painting their army is is a positive thing. Um, I don't just. What are your thoughts on s- soft scores in general? Yeah, I, I know I've talked about this before because coming from first edition, where we were much like what I think a lot of events in the UK still are, where you pretty much it was events were all battle. There's let's say 20 points for paint, but really it's just, did you paint three color minimum and maybe put a wash on and that's good enough to pick up all those points. Um, so you're never really worried about losing there. Cause like the first goblin list I had painted, uh, I had an idea of, I wanted to do some ghostly goblins and I was trying to do stuff with washes, but I didn't know what I was doing. It's the first army I, I painted really. And, I picked a bad color for primer and they didn't come off very well, but they were still three colors. So I'm still picking up all the points. And you know, that was an army that probably gets 60 points at masters this year. So, um, I think, I, I think that's good to reward the painters. And like we said, as long as events, especially if events have best general, then I don't think there's a problem with having a paragon and best overall and putting more focus on the others. And, and even to make best overall, the, the, sort of highest-ranking award, uh, again, I don't think it's a problem. I don't know why it's such a big concern, especially you know when there's a best general award. Um, like several people were saying on the thread, go compete for what you know or for what's important to you in that case, right? So I, I really like the way Masters splits it out. You've got four tracks you can go down. So whether you're a good painter, not good at anything else, good sportsman, not good at anything else, or good on the table, um, battle and not good at anything else. You've still got a track you can go down. 
And then for all the people who are average or slightly above average in all three, you got a chance, you know, at the Paragon track. As far as how I've evolved over time, too, I definitely know, and I talked about this some when when the Warhammer scene first meshed up with Kings of War scene in 2016, late 2015, 2016, and I saw how much paint focus was at some of these events. I was really nervous because I knew I wasn't a great painter, didn't know didn't know what I didn't know, right? And as a competitive person, I wanted to still be able to do well at events. Um, but it, from that perspective, right, it, it, it helped me up my game, my painting game. Uh, I won't say that every army I've done has improved from the previous because I've tried to throw some together really fast just because I had a list I wanted to try out, so maybe the paint wasn't as well. But I, I've tried to pick up on some things. Um, and like I say, I had some really nice highlights and in places on my goblins. It's not competitive with the top painters. It's not as clean, but um, you know I'm trying to give my opponent a good, a good looking army to play against from three or four feet away. So you don't have to worry about it being spotless and perfect, right? Just have something that looks nice. Uh, it shows a certain amount of respect to your opponents, right? They're paying. You, you look at the tournament fee, forty dollars, but then you got to look at travel fees, food, lodging, right? People are paying three, four, five hundred dollars to come to these events. So uh, I don't think it's too much to ask that you try to have something. And and I think all the armies at Masters were fine, right? One of the things that um, Ryan mentioned was that uh, the average score was actually like four or five points higher than than the average score at Alamo. So I think that's reflected in the fact that Masters players, our tournament scene incentivizes it. Uh, specifically paint, right? And so everybody puts in a little effort, you know, and they do a little bit more. Um, that being said, you know, most of our events are not uh, over allocating the amount of points available for paint, right? It's not like, you know, there there, ha- there have been some over the years like Wapaka where it was one third, one third, one third. Those are the far extremes, you know, those are the outliers. Most of the time, you know, it might be 10% or 15%. I mean, paint is not going to be the most important thing. And most events soft cap it at a level that you can reach. It's, it takes more than just the bare minimum to get to the soft cap most of the time at the events anymore. But, you know, put a few nice touches extra on your bases. Um, throw in some nice uh, heroes or something on the, on your unit base, a standout character, right? And the rest of you guys can be painted rank and filed, you know, three three colors with, with a wash done fairly neatly. And then you have one or two standout guys on the base you're probably going to pull all the points you need and it's going to be a good looking army. You, you don't, for people who are concerned about, you don't have to paint like Ryan or either the Jeffs or, or Ryan Munsell, you know, the other guys we mentioned earlier, you don't have to paint that well um, to do fine on the painting side of things. You, you'll give up a few points. Um, but if you're there for, for playing on the table for best general, then you don't care about the paint award anyway, and if you still want to win best overall, well, you know if you're if you're only giving up half a game in paint. I know sometimes it's more than that, but if you're only giving up half a game in paint, then win all your games, and you're still going to get best overall. Um, so, uh, I don't I don't think it's too bad. Like I was really nervous coming into Masters because I, I thought paint. I thought I again I, I thought I'd be further down than that. And I figured it would make a bigger difference in the Paragon. But, uh, I mean, it didn't make it, – it definitely stood out. You know, like Chris James, his paint really helped him. Um, but then again, he was playing on table one in turn six. So, I mean, are you, it, he should be there 
for Paragon scoring, right? Um, right. He's got the battle nice points. painted army. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He put in the work on the table too. So, uh, from my personal perspective and I consider myself kind of, you know, average painter and I'm scores obviously show I'm like average sports guy, pull a few votes, but I'm never, um, you know, I'm not going to be competing with Andrew Summers and Jesse Cornwell and Jake Hutt, Jake, sorry, Sierra Parra now, or some of the other guys, you just know. call him whatever you want. He, yeah. he answers everything. Pikachu. <laughs> but, uh, again, right. I mean, I think, well, master shows, I, I did really, really well as, as well as I could have hoped on the table. Right. Um, with five wins and my paint, uh, uh, you know, was, was high enough. And my average sports score was high enough that I still was in running for Paragon. So, um, you just, you know, put in a little bit of work and I think, I think you can get it there. Yeah. And, and you know, I'll say this too. I, if you really don't, enjoy painting then just buy an army i no, no i i'm not going to hold it against you if you just want to buy an army that's that's fun. i mean you're still you're still investing money rather than time and you're still uh you're still showing consideration for your opponents because your opponents that's what we, you know you said it you're going to this event costs a lot of money i don't want to play with unpainted models right or, or yeah you know i mean that's just you know if i want to do that i'd just do it at home and that's coming from someone who you know at lady of the lake one year I played the Lego army, which I honestly thought was very well done. And it didn't bother me at all, but I understand, right? There's plenty of people who that's not what they want to do when they go to a tournament. They want to play a well-painted army. So I, you know, I want to show up with something that I've at least put some effort in and tried to get to a decent level. Um, for the most part, right? Last year I took an ogre army that was, uh, had was done really hastily and wasn't that well painted. And I knew it wasn't, but, um, that's okay. Right. Uh, that those were, th- that was kind of just for fun for me anyway. When I was taking that army, um, so you can do that too, but just be cognizant of it if you do that. Like I didn't expect to get good paint scores out of that army either, right? I knew I I knew I'd be giving up some points, so that's fine. That's fine as well, right? Absolutely. Do you feel any different? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm really. It's really uh, a big surprise, a very big surprise to me, especially when Mark told me. Uh, I would have never expected that. I was, I was expecting, I was going to be, I was super happy just to, you know, have a chance at second or third place in battle. Um, that's amazing out of a field that big. And again, like we talked earlier, it goes back to, I didn't have any bad matchups, um, for my list. Uh, no bad matchups on scenario really other than eliminate and Travis, it wasn't his ideal scenario either. He was saying, so, uh, I guess, in that case, then it wasn't that bad for me, probably. Um, so I, I think that's really what you need um, to do well at these events. I mean, uh, even at Siege, same same sort of thing, right? I didn't have any really bad matchups um, other than one, and I was able to still able... Uh, the way the game played out, it turned out to not be as bad for me as I was expecting it to be. And I think that has to happen, right? You You... You have to have some things go your way. You have to have some scenarios, matchups go your way, or you're not going to win five, six games at a tournament. And so I'm more than happy to acknowledge that I, I benefited from from at least matchups that were 50-50 all the way through or, or better for me. Well, awesome. Uh, Shannon, thanks for coming on and chatting with us about uh, your, your master's experience. Uh, you're one of the few people that have been to all three. Yeah. So if I can put on my Jeff Swan Ego Duck hat, I actually did run the numbers a little bit the other night, and uh, I think Aaron Chapman has 13 wins, 
And I'm not sure if Mike, I don't know what Mike Austin has, but I know Alex and I both have 12 wins. So I was, I was pretty excited about that. Um, and it's also interesting. I've gone up every year. I had three wins and then four wins and then five wins this year. So next year I'm probably due to roll over. I've kept a draw every year, so I'm expecting to go one four and one next year, or six and zero, oh, and and being the master. Yeah, I mean that would be amazing too. But uh, you know, I'm so happy after this year. If I go one four and one next year, it'll still be fantastic, <laughs> just to be back there and and to have fun with everyone. Uh, just sort of like my two cents, I guess, on the whole uh, uh, soft scores. To me, it always comes down to what does miniature wargaming need to have to not disappear. It needs to have players, right? Yeah. We're all eventually going to get old and die. So that means you have to get new players. How do you get new players? You get new players because when they play, they have a good time and they laugh and they make friends and they make, they make relationships. And you have new players who get excited because they see awesome models. So to take away two of the key aspects, the two most important aspects of attracting new players into the hobby that you love is so ridiculous to me and short-sighted in that if you don't promote those things, you're going to have no one to play with. So then it doesn't matter. I mean, what's sure. the hobby, you know, the hobby will die. So it's, it's self-serving for us as a community to promote these other things, which are the things that attract new people. So that's what always comes down to yeah. me is how do you get new people to play? I mean, I think it just takes a little time to, like I said, I was really worried um, with the emphasis that it sounded like was going to be on paint when I came over from first edition. And I think maybe that's what some, um, some players who haven't gone to some of these events don't understand that really for most of the events, uh, you don't, you don't need to be able to paint like the top painters. You just need to do um, a good average, slightly above average job, right? Just pay attention do your three colors in your wash or, put some highlights on um, just so it pops a little bit, right? It doesn't have to be um, the Mona Lisa. It's just got to no, clean techniques. Pay a little attention to Yeah. It. Clean techniques can get you a long way. And then the other, so to me, when I hear the soft score argument, the two things I go to is the new player and two, any tournament that has soft scores, they have awards for other things. They have, sure. they still have a battle award. They still have uh, 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 awards for whatever element of the hobby uh, that you go to, and this is this is one of these sort of like circular arguments that we as a community got to find some way not to have anymore because they always start the same way, they always go around the same circle, it's always the same topics, and eventually it's like you know insert reset the clock meme because it's like sure. you know it's like how many times as a, do a well, community do we have to have this debate? Yeah, I think you just have to go to a few events and see that it's not that scary, and then. It's not so much of a problem. Yeah, that's a good but point. But if you're if you're worried about it and thinking, well, I'm not going to have a good event because I don't paint well or whatever, and you don't ever go to to an event, then you never get the chance to see that it's it's not as scary as you you might think it is. Or it's and not the thing as is, big of a deal breaker. Most of the good paint or good sports or anyone in this hobby who's like has character, if you go up to them and say, hey, what do you think about this? How can I improve? They're not going to tell you to go, you know. Oh yeah, whatever. No, they're going to sit down with you, and they're going to talk with you, and they're going to help you. And it's, I mean, it's a very supportive um, community. I think. Yeah. Well, everyone helps out, and I know Bradley's been posting a lot lately on Fanatics, and 
uh, you know, both Ryan and Austin were like, yeah, hit me up anytime. I'll give you some suggestions. Um, more than happy to talk about techniques or, or help you out. So yeah, there's a plethora of people who know what they're doing when it comes to paint, who would be more than happy to help you out if you have questions. So Rob, we got something else on the, uh, the agenda coming up here too, that Shannon's maybe a little involved with. <laughs> yeah. things a little thing called Adepticon. Shannon, what's the latest and yep. greatest about Adepticon? Um, so, uh, as I mentioned on the stream from masters, we have filled up this year. Um, I do have a few people who told me they're interested in playing if anyone drops or any slots are open. So I'm kind of keeping track of that and trying to, uh, feed back to them in the order that, that they came to me in, um, to see, uh, see what we can do. I'd like to keep it full, right? So I know there will be a few people who were already planning to come to Adepticon anyway um, who weren't able to register. So I think even if we have some drops on site, we should be able to keep the event full. One thing I do want to say here, um, if you have any listeners, just so that I get a little detail out, um, for as far as scenarios go, I would expect to see one or two of the new cockpit 2019 scenarios in there so practice those um just as a heads up for everyone uh and then i'm also going to see if my if it doesn't bother my downstairs neighbor too much i'm going to try to print out a few small things 3d print out a few small things hopefully um if i can get enough time on my printer maybe i can get um one small piece of train won't be very big but one small piece of train uh printed out for every attendee um that's my goal anyway we should have plenty of um, terrain for the tables and set up. I know um, Chris, Mike Carter, um, Chris Kapsner, Stephen DeRose, and Andrew Summers are all going to help me out. And then Mantic's going to have some terrain there as well. So we ought to be able to fill up easily the 30 tables. And I think um, they've talked to me and we would be able to cover 40 if we had 40 tables available. So mm-hmm. um, we won't this year, um, but would definitely love to see as many people come next year as possible. Uh, this is kind of a learning year for me, and I know I'm taking it a little looser this year, not forcing people to submit lists and stuff. I'll see how it goes. Um, but I will have – my daughter will be helping me, and I know there will be a few other people there who, um, like Austin Kerrigan, has volunteered to help out if I need some help. Yep. And we'll all be there too, right? Yep. Uh, Michelle Mark Olson will be, yep. be – sorry, Michelle Olson will be judging paint. Uh, the one thing I will warn, uh, the event, event got bigger than I originally expected. So um, from the paint side, if we run tight on time, we'll probably just be able to let you know whether or not you got you know, up to the soft cap. And then we'll have to pick out the best armies and judge those. But if we have enough time, and if Michelle has enough time, or especially if Austin's able to help out, if you want mm-hmm. more detail about your army and how you can improve it or how you painted it, um, I'm sure they'll be more than happy to help you. I'd love to help you, but I'm not that knowledgeable. So, um, uh, but yeah, more than happy to, to give some advice. Um, we should have plenty of people there who would, who would help you out. I'm looking forward to see the tables that, uh, Mantic has got sponsored, like from foreground or Ironheart artisans. I think those are going to be very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Those should be great. I know Pat was putting the buildings together a month ago, at least probably. So yeah, I hope, I hope we can put on a great event for everyone. I mean, it's a, pretty big event for me to dip my toes in the first time but uh like well, you said i mean be a lot how many of did you, there, so. how many people did you have last year 
24 or 26 last so year. This, so this is slightly more than, basically. Slightly more than, yeah. Slightly more, 40 more people, yeah, just slightly more. So, what do you think, uh, what, what, do you, what, what do you test, besides that uh, everyone loves Shannon, like, what do you attest to that jump? Well, I think we really pushed it, like at Masters last year, I know Chris helped out a lot too, right? We were really pushing it with the uh, chairs from the different regions, trying to get... Um, regions to include it as an in-region score to make it a little more enticing. I know Mantic has put a little more weight behind it this year as well. So I'm more than happy to give the credit out there. Um, it seems like, you know, a lot of people have been pushing it and I'll be, I wanted to give something back, right? I mean, King's war has been my main hobby for the last five years, probably. So, uh, I wanted to, to give back a little bit to the community for as much as it's given to me. And I know Mike, says he enjoys helping out and running tournaments and just helping people as much as he does playing. But I really wanted to give him an opportunity to play too, because he's put in so much work um, going back to 2012 to support mm-hmm. Mantic events. Um, and just his learn to play stuff. You know, he's really, he's introduced a lot of people to it through learn to plays at Gen Con and origins. So I wanted to let him uh, have a breather where he wasn't responsible for everything. Yeah, I'm a, I'm very excited about it. It's going to be totally awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited to see all you guys here. Are Are you playing Rob, or are you just planning on? I'm just going to be there, so okay. I may, you know, if you need a ringer, we'll okay. figure something out. Awesome, or recording and stuff. Yeah, that'll be great. Actually, Ashley will be very happy. Um, I had her arrange to be the ringer if we needed it, but like, if you're willing to do it, Austin said you help out. So absolutely, um, we should have. She'll be just as happy to help me. I think with scorekeeping and stuff as. Um, playing the ringer <laughs> well hopefully we don't need one right all 64 players show up and sure yeah and everybody's rocking and rolling mm-hmm. yep yeah and that'll give you time to uh wander around take some pictures and you're you're gonna have your equipment for recording and everything that's the plan okay great what else is going on with adepticon any other any other things we want to mention yeah sure so uh, i'm not sure how much of it is filled up but on thursday they have the learn to play uh events which um mike has all his demo armies so you play 1,000-point games, and then you switch tables, which means you switch armies. So every game you're playing a different army against a different army, um, against someone else who is also switching armies every game. And then that evening, they're going to have a speed speed event. Uh, not sure how late it'll run. It's getting kind of a late start, so I probably won't stick around for that one because um, I'm planning to play Vanguard on Friday morning. Mm-hmm. So... That'll be going, I think, from 8 in the morning. And then after Vanguard finishes up, they're going to have Dead dead Zone Tournament Friday afternoon and evening. And then obviously Saturday we're doing, Saturday and Sunday, we're doing the Kings of War GT Saturday night after we finish up. And I tried to, that was one reason to go to five games was to give people a little more time um, to get to, hopefully we can get people down to the vendor hall, something, take a look around. And then Saturday night is also Mantic night. So I want to make sure everyone can get out and get dinner before Mantic night starts and get back and hear the latest rumors from Ronnie and the rest of the folks at Mantic and just interact. Um, it's as, as much a social event as it is playing demo games and stuff. And then also, I can't remember the names. You might know them, Rob, but I know there's, um, couple of guys who put on the big game every year they they bring in all the units yeah it's ginormous like really yeah. long tables they've got a couple different sessions and uh yep. i'm that's i can't wait to see that in person yeah i think they may still have some open slots for one or two of the sessions 
Um, I'm not sure if it's on Friday or when it is, but last I looked, there were still a couple open slots. So there will be a lot of Mantic stuff going on. And obviously, if you like other other games, there's plenty of other games there. Um, I'm sure Warm Awards, Malifaux, all the, all the GW games, they have stuff. So there's a lot. And, and then there are a lot of small independent companies, too, um, that have games various days and then seminars although most of the seminars like painting seminars and so forth have probably filled up by now but there's a lot of uh painting modeling terrain type seminars as well i can't wait yep yeah i know that's (laughs) i know that's one thing mark's excited for he got into a lot of the duncan road seminars somehow because he's there imagine (laughs) mark mark waiting at at like 759 you know clicking like reload 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 so he can get in the the duncan seminars yeah yeah. Cracks me up. Well, I'm excited to go just because, you know, growing, uh, coming up in the hobby, being over here on the West Coast, it's harder to get over there. But Adepticon's always like, uh, uh, it is known as, <laughs> as you know, as like a bucket list sort of thing, you know, tales of the vendor hall and just uh, uh, getting there. So I'm excited uh, to play in the event. But I'm excited, you know, sometimes when you go to a tournament, right, you're so focused on the tournament that there's, cool aspects of like when you go to a convention where there's more to see there's other game systems like i like playing other game systems too so i i know rob is sort of excited to maybe check out some legion stuff i'm excited to Mm -hmm. see some 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 40k stuff so uh i'm excited for uh the the vendor hall and the convention side uh experience of the event along with um the actual tournament as well so it's uh i'm excited for uh it on uh, a lot of different levels i guess i'm saying yeah definitely make sure you get a chance um to walk through some of the various rooms because you'll see some amazingly painted armies for different game systems there as well and like elaborate training. and for um for like crystal brush do they like display everything like the finalists mm-hmm. or because uh, that would be really exciting yeah it's amazing it's yeah. amazing it's all displayed yeah. out in like a long hallway okay yep Whew. oh man i'm getting uh, <laughs> i'm getting excited thinking about it and it's it's gotten bigger every year so they have a few more vendors i think every year uh eventually i don't know how much longer they're going to outgrow that uh, the Schomburg site that they're at now. I'm not sure what they'll do then if they'll. Uh, Chicago obviously has plenty of convention centers to move it to. I don't know if they'll move it down to Rosemont or what they'll do, but um, yeah, it's it's definitely growing every year. Well, fantastic, Shannon. Thanks for coming on and chatting with us about your master's experience and uh, soft scores and Adepticon and everything else in between. Sure. Yeah. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Jeremy. And uh, yeah, just congrats. remember, you know, if you. You call me Mr. Paragon at Adepticon, there might be a bonus point or two in there for you. Oh, well, well I, have tip. To, I have to get you uh, uh, Paragons don't buy their own burritos. So, oh. uh, fantastic. So, yeah, so you have a, a, a burrito with your name on it, purchased by me, presented to you. So you got that going for you, which is nice. Actually, I might need it. You know, I, I don't know if I have time to sneak out from the, from the game hall Saturday. Well, Saturday you matter, know, don't. So. Don't worry about DoorJat, DoorDash. Just get Jerdash, and I'll get Jerdash. Yeah. Is that like Jordash? Jerdash. Yeah, I'll be excited to see you guys and and everyone coming in. It's it's going to be a really fun time. Yeah, because that's the thing with, with even with Masters. It's 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 like I know I didn't really get to hang out with you that much, Shannon, because it's just such a crazy right. hectic event. Um, well, there's so many people, right? You so can't, many you can't make it through everybody. Uh, you know, I still haven't. I still haven't uh, met Kevin Spears, who won sports, and uh, didn't really get to talk to most of the Northeast guys too much. I was 
with the mountain in the Midwest and the Southeast a lot. Um, but yeah, there's so many people to hang out with there. Watch out, Felix. Here I come. Get ready for your uh, a hug to shatter the world. Oh, yeah. I guess one last thing, too. If anyone has any challenges they want to, uh, anyone they want to play around one, just let me know. And as long as both of you agree, um, we can get it set up. I think I've just got gotten three or four so far, but more than mm. to set those up. Interesting. Well, if you want to play Felix round one. Interesting. Captain Castro. Uh, we're going to have to think about that. Well, all right. That's going to do us tonight. Until next time, keep countercharging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com on Twitter at countercharge15. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.